found us. We're here. It's the Enigma Hour with Captain Cheeky and Captain Dave. Reporting for duty. Yes, reporting for duty. Good good evening, Captain Dave. Reporting for duty. <laughs> this is the Enigma Hour. That's actually two hours. Yes, we think it's funny. Uh, we're here on KAADLP 103.5 FM Sonora every Thursday, 10 p.m. to midnight. Rain or shine, snow or thunder. Broadcasting from the basement of the historic Casino Dome, we're the only residents in a 22,000 square foot building that's built in a circle. It is. Uh, with a dome top. Yeah. The hallways disappear into nothingness because it, they always go around the curved... We can't call it a corner, can you? No. It's one of... Life's Little, little mysteries. mysteries. Well, <clears throat> I got a fun story for you. I'm ready. Okay, so I'm out there. I'm out there beyond... <laughs> yes, you're Pine- out there. Well, I am out there, but... I'm out there beyond Pinecrest. I'm up above Pinecrest. And I'm out there looking for a deer. And what do I hear? I hear thrashing. I hear knocks. I hear wood knocks. And I heard boulder throwing. Now, there's a little disagreement about whether it was a bear or a Bigfoot. Now, I don't know because I didn't go over there. We kind of stayed away from there, but it could have been either, Dave. It could have been either. Well, you know, uh, it's best to stay away in any case, just to be safe. Yeah, that's what we thought. I remember one time when I was working for the Forest Service. 
And uh, I mean, we had things that might have been Bigfoot activity, but the, one of the instances that I remember the most is we went to the ranger station to pick up water. Ooh. Okay? And it looked like the back of the building was on fire. Okay. I, I, I see what was like smoke coming billowing up behind it. I run, running back there, and there was a bear, and it was just clawing the earth by the dumpster. And what happened was they were rummaging through the dumpster, and the cub got stuck Ooh. in the dumpster and couldn't get out. Uh-oh. And so uh, we kept our distance until a crew showed up, tranquilized the mother, put a log in the uh, in the dumpster. dumpster so the cub could get out. You know, I mean, I wanted to go over there and check it out because it, it could have been either, Dave, I'm telling you. It could have been a Bigfoot or it could have been a bear. But either way, I didn't want to go over there because whatever it was doing, it was doing a lot of it and it was really loud. Yeah. I'm going to chalk that up to a maybe, you know, I don't know, but it, it had all the sound, the wood knocking. It had the boulder, the rock throwing. It had the miscellaneous chomping, but again, it could have been a bear grubbing. So I used to take work crews out uh, in the forest and there were a few sites that we visited. We've heard wood knocks. Uh, we found what, you know, bears make nests. They do. Uh, so, I mean, what is it to say? But it seems like this nest was just really well made and nest. really big <laughs> and big, yeah, like a Bigfoot. And uh, but you know, it just brings up the fact. A couple uh, weeks ago, you were talking about you know Tuolumne County, the entire county, just being a liminal space. It is the whole damn place is a liminal space and you uh, conjectured is because of the isolation it's literally where the sidewalk ends it is i mean we have a highway but not really i mean it's not it all ends in a forest service road (laughs) everything ends in a forest service road and you know that was one of the shocking things is when i went up there you know when i went out there the road that we actually took to get the Forest Service road to get out deep up there before we went hiking in. And boy, that I'm a little out of shape. Anyway, the road was actually the same road that I used to get to my secret Heidi spot where I watch for UFOs and Bigfoot. So that tells you something. Yeah, it's right there where civilization ends oh, yeah. and the wilderness begins. I would say this is the last vestige of civilization. Until you get to Bridgeport. Um, If people don't know Tuolumne County, uh, the entire county only has 50,000 people in it. I was just talking to my, I met my neighbor today, and I was just talking to him about that. And uh, most of Yosemite is in Tuolumne Tuolumne County. County. The Stanislaus National Forest. Tuolumne County. Got the various wilderness areas. Oh, yeah. Uh, the BLM land, the Bureau of Land Management. Land Management land. We have one historic landmark, one state park. And uh, so uh, uh, we only have one incorporated city, and that's the county seat, Sonora, where we right. are. And that's only 4,000 people. I think it's up to 4,500. Okay, but. all right. And uh, so... 
uh, uh, everyone lives in little pockets. They do. Uh, and surrounded by wilderness areas. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, even even where I live, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, I don't know, five minutes from downtown. But boy, you hit that red church and hang a right, it thins out fast. Yeah, it does. Pretty really soon does. you're going off these little narrow one way, one lane road. That's basically <laughs> what I live off of. Yeah, it's the one. I mean, well, it kind of goes like one lane, and then, it, but you know, it's on a regular basis. You know, we have a bit of a traffic jam because there's a deer walking across the road, or because there's a, uh, you know, there's a bunch of turkeys. I, so when the power went out and the uh, <laughs> power failures here are fun, <laughs> uh, but the. Those gates for the railroad tracks go down, and then they don't get go back no, up. No, they don't. And uh, so they did a detour, and the uh, and one of the trucks that was unfamiliar with this area said, "Oh, I'll take the detour around this." And he jackknifed because it went straight up the hill and made a one lane. Oh, I was wondering how that happened. <laughs> Yeah, one one thing we should probably mention that you know if you have a jackknife big rig on one of our little roads, that's like big news. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Everybody knows. But, uh, well, we had a we had we had two two power poles get taken out at the same time, and one was because some guy was running from the cops, and he rammed into a power pole and knocked it down, like in trying to get away. It was like big news. Like everybody knew. No matter, you go down to the candy shop, it's like people are talking. Did you hear about the guy that rammed a car into the in telephone pole? I mean, it, everybody knows everything here. I so, still I still don't get recognized on the street, though. Well, no, people respect each other's privacy. That's true. <laughs> it's a very individualistic. Um, so, uh, yeah, you won't get disrespected. I'm also, I'm also on radio. They don't know what I look like. <laughs> no, uh, you'd be surprised though. You, I, in a restaurant, I order food. And, that's what you do uh, in a restaurant, Dave. That's right. And the person sitting in the booth behind me turns and says, uh, "Do you have to talk on the radio?" <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. You know, getting back to the or- original point. No, it, the whole, the whole county really is liminal because it really. In a lot of ways, it really is where the sidewalk ends. You know, when you are in the Central Valley and you hang that left or you hang that right to go up 108 out there in Oakdale, Oakdale really is the last vestige of society. You know, when you hit Sonora, it's just not the same. Because Sonora itself, like the road, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the road doesn't go through Sonora exactly. It kind of it kind of goes by Sonora. Downtown's way off to the left. And you know, as you're cruising up, you can see the Walmart and stuff, but it's the downtown's actually offset. You don't see it. Um, what I actually suggest people do is, uh, how do you, I go like through Lake Tulloch and hit Highway 4. Oh, yeah. That way. Right by Copperopolis. And you can really see Table Mountain. You really can. So uh, it used to be you had to go through a pass in Table Mountain, an eroded area, I guess. And Table Mountain is, is, is an inverted landscape, which is uh, probably the most rarest geological feature in the world. Oh, yeah. It's only a couple other places. One in Africa. One place. Also the, the home of a lost civilization. Uh, remains under it. So yes. uh, it's so strange that 
Let, let's take UFO sightings because that's what we're going to end up talking about. Tonight. Yes, we had to reschedule uh, Mr. Bosley. But then we'll be talking about that when Bosley is on. Oh, yes. It's I disappointed be a show. the, I mean, among other things, because he's off into. Uh, he's in a lot everything. of directions. Yeah. But he did do like a trilogy using mm -hmm. the Sonora Arrow Club as the basis of. Yeah. Uh, the wheel. So, yeah, so we need to get him on. Oh no, he's coming on next week. He was he was really bummed. Yeah, he has had an emergency. So we're a sparsely populated county. Very. So you know, logic would say there would be more like UFO sightings if there were more people to see them. Well, that's that's the argument that they always make of, you know, <clears throat> can you hear trees crack in the forest if there's nobody there? But um, that's a, the manifestation argument. Um, if you figure that we're number two in the state and number three nationwide for Bigfoot sightings, I know. And uh, we are uh, number five in North America, the city of Sonora. So, although California has more sightings than anywhere else, right? Uh, it was uh, Sonora is the only city that made the top. 10 and number five coming in at number, number five, five. Uh, right below Sedona, Arizona. This is North America with Sonora. I'm not surprised. And it's so, a liminal space. So uh, you look up haunted places. The whole, the whole place is haunted. Right. So, you know, there's like a real haunted uh, place, a castle over in Scotland or something. Sure. I mean, they do individual houses, Winchester Mystery House and stuff. Oh, yeah. But when they get to... So every town has a haunted house. Always. But Tuolumne County has haunted towns. I know. And a lot of times in the top 10 hauntings, you look up... It just says a, Sonora. It just says Tuolumne County. That's true, it does. <laughs> it says Tuolumne. We even have a haunted swimming hole. Do we really? Uh, yes, we, we have do. a haunted swimming hole. Yes, uh, on the Tuolumne River. Do we really? And uh, and there's, those are very rare. As they well. are. We <laughs> where I where I used to live, we had a haunted we had a haunted swimming hole. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you know, uh, it's coming up October 11th. I guess I'm doing the historical society. Right. Has asked me to give a presentation on the history of, uh, well, now it's unidentified anomalous phenomena. You know what? That's BS. They're UFOs. <laughs> okay. We're calling them UFOs here. I'm not playing that game. And so there's been so much talk about UFOs in the news. And uh, historical side, they're pretty hep crew. You know, it's like, they know there's something going on there, but there's, what's the historical record? You know, what does it say? I just think it's progressive that they came to you and said, we want to do, at the Historical Society, you know, you, you get into these other, I mean, you get into other places and it's like, well, we're the Historical Society. We want to talk about like, Usually, the movement of horses in the 19th century. You know? Usually, it's histories of prominent families. That have families, been events, locations, not UFOs. But, but uh, that's why I like it here. Uh, so, I've been trying to do my homework. Right. So, I've been digging around uh, uh, what makes this number five? What are the variety 
of uh, of sightings, and boy, I mean, I've collected dozens and dozens. Well, and I, I kind of gave up because, and then a couple too much. key ones that I, that I really wanted, I couldn't find. There's gaps, which is interesting and, uh, in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, uh, maybe, but. What I did find sure made up for it. Well, you know, one of the interesting things that, that I thought of while I was talking to, to Walter, because, you know, obviously Walter was going to be on tonight, but he had, a, he had a family thing he had to take care of. But Walter, you know, he, he talks about these, what he calls a telluric line. It's like an energy line or like a ley line. <clears throat> and he, you know, apparently this area is filled with telluric current and telluric lines, like ley lines. So... That could also be a a cause. Yeah, we certainly, whatever the cause, uh, there is an effect, obviously. Well, I think it's, you know, I've said it before. I, I think it's it's fascinating that, you know, in the case of most places, it's like, you know, like in Oakland, California, you know, they, they had a, a, um, a haunted bookstore, the Holmes bookstore. And they had, there was a ghost in there would throw around books or whatever. So when you look in like Dr. Weird's guide to, to, you know, the San Francisco area, it would say the Holmes bookstore. You go to Weird, California, it'd say the Holmes bookstore. But it, it literally, it says Tuolumne County or Sonora. Because when you walk down the street, every building is haunted. In fact, the road is haunted because under the road, it's crisscrossed with mine, mine shafts. Right. And those are haunted. What was that musical with Lee Marvin in it? And the whole town collapses because there's so many tunnels under it. It's a gold rush town. Yeah. And that's true here in uh, Sonora. It is. And uh, I've seen, and they won't tell you where these caverns are, but there's these cavern people uh, that go and they explore old mines and stuff. And here near Sonora is this monster cavern. You would not believe... I mean, they showed films of the inside of the cavern, but they were not going to tell you. Go to YouTube. I, I, it might be called California Caverns or <laughs> something. But, Dave. Um, <laughs> um, no, I don't remember what. Um, it, Black but, Chasm. Uh, no, no, it's it's no, it's not. It's it's all these old mines and tunnels and stuff oh, under yeah. Sonora and near Sonora, and I think they don't let the location it says. This place is near Sonora. And the guy's showing me a film of, you know, they got the little lights on their sure. hats and they got cameras. Well, well, take us. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, maybe I'll ask him. But I ask don't know him. if I can. Uh, that was in my younger days. Well, it depends, on how, it depends on how hard it is to get in. Um, well, this guy's pretty spry guy. I mean, he's. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it takes a spry guy to get into the cavern. No, you can go to the bookstore and go downstairs and you see an entrance to the cavern. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the caverns. Absolutely. And then they used to, uh, and then there's, but there's big, these big cisterns too that collect water. And it's a, it's not quite like, what's what was that, a Seattle or uh, that it's a city Portland. built, Portland? City. Portland. Um, yeah, the, the Shanghai Tunnels. Yeah. Uh, they call them the Shanghai Tunnels because they used to Shanghai or kidnap people <clears throat> and they would put them on boats. Oh, well, no, these were, um, these are to run the whores back and forth. Yeah, it's uh, Seattle and Portland. 
Well, you know, Portland, I know it's not really germane to our topic, but it, apparently Portland is like the, the strip club capital of the United States. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the underneath Sonora itself is riddled <laughs> with caves it is. and mines and caverns. And, and they're uh, all A hunted. river that disappears. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah the Sonora Inn. Okay. So it, they have a, a real, an old lift, like an old, old-timey sure. lift, and it just goes sometimes up and down with nobody in it, nobody pushing the button. Well, that's also the, the girl with the ball, right? Uh, that's where the girl plays with the ball, yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah, the, the, the haunting, that's why it just says Sonora. It's not like the Sonora Hospital or this shop, or that, it's just Sonora, the whole town is haunted. But, you know, I've said this again and again, and I, I really don't understand it. You know, <clears throat> most places, like you go to Sedona, like Sedona or Taos, Taos the Hum, you know, the Lubbock Lights, like people talk about it and talk about it, and it's, <clears throat> you know, they they push it, and like the, the Chamber of Commerce will like, Capitalize on it. Capitalize on it, but they don't do that here. Did you know that the, uh, the nobody knows is, the BFRO, the Bigfoot Research Organization? Yeah. And so every year they do like tours. You can pay them. They're right. going to take you out on a Bigfoot research tour. Right. Where do they take take you? They take you here. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and 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 you know and apparently they take they they pick some. I guess they have a, a stable of, of good Forest Service roads. They pretty much drive you to the end of the Forest Service road, and they're like, here. Well, actually, that's all you need. Yeah, that's what he was saying that when we went to the, to the Bigfoot Symposium. And it, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, it's, it's a liminal space. It's a transition, transition zone. You know, back in ancient times, <clears throat> there was a type of witch. It was called a hedge witch. And the hedge witch would live at the edge of the forest. And the hedge witch was like the guardian of the entrance to the forest because inside the forest, it's dark, it's foreboding, there's magical creatures, it's dangerous. And so there was a witch that would live at the edge of the forest who would take you in and take you out of the forest. But that's kind of like it is here. And it's funny because as you drive up 108, you go through Oakdale, and Oakdale is a pretty decent-sized place. And, you know, they've got, you know, Denny's and they've got, Cowboy capital of the world. What? It's creeping up here, too. I remember uh, coming up here and visiting my dad back in the day. And uh, you had to pull over if you saw saw another car coming the other way. And as soon as that first stoplight appeared in downtown uh, on Washington Street, we knew we were doomed. (laughs) (laughs) The good news about Tuolumne County is there's so much uh, state and federal land that's set aside. Right. Uh, so it can only grow so so much. Yeah, it really can't grow much more. I hope not. I, I don't... Uh, we got to keep its character. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think it will. But it, it also, you know, the, it takes... You know, the... the it's not a place where I can see, you know, urbanites really moving to. I mean, it's, you know, there was a, a long time ago, there was a kind of shift when 
the housing prices increased in the big cities like Seattle and Portland. You know, I remember because my family used to go to Klamath Falls a lot. And, you know, Klamath Falls, like, it was a nothing going on kind of place. You know, they had a huge kiln. And the, the kind of fun thing to do in Klamath Falls was to watch them because they would still run the logs down the river. Mm-hmm. And they had these huge holding ponds in the river that were filled with logs. And they'd have guys out there on boats, like, pushing the logs. And, you know, they were famous for that. They've shut the kiln down now, but... You know, but suddenly I go up there one day because I have some land up there, which is a whole nother show. There's like portals and stuff on it. But I go up there one time and suddenly, you know, there's there's all these, they have like brew pubs and, you know, breweries. I mean, it used to be the only thing you could really do there was go to the movie theater or go to the uh, the Arrowhead Museum. That was pretty much all they had. But now they have like, you know, boutique hotels and because a lot of the artists and other people, they went to Klamath Falls because it was cheap. And there was this kind of shift where a lot of people were like running to Boise and Idaho and, but not here. It's, you know, it, we got the, uh, the rednecks keep, keep everybody <laughs> out. Right. Uh, but it's, you no, know, my, uh, my dad retired here. And he was a uh, wore his overalls and worked on the truck, and uh, it's just a certain. Well, <laughs> I think more than that, it's just it's off the beaten path. It is. It's off the beaten path, and you could go. We have like the one shot. What I hate is when I see it's called Timber Hill Shopping Center. And they took out, the, I watched them take out the timber, plow down the hill. <laughs> well, you know, I used, to, I used to live in a town called Walnut Creek. And they, uh, <clears throat> they actually basically, rem- they, well, the first thing they did is they removed all the walnut trees. And so every year they'd have this thing called the Walnut Festival. And the field where they'd have the Walnut Festival was, it was surrounded by um, uh, eucalyptus trees. Which I, why don't we have the eucalyptus festival, right? They had, they had cut down all the walnut trees, and then they dammed up the creek. <laughs> no, no, they it was worse than that. Trend. No, no, they they wanted to be environmentally friendly, so they didn't want to destroy the creek, so they put it in concrete tubing, and then they built over it. So now at this point in Walnut Creek, there's only a 12 foot section of the creek left. I talked uh, <clears throat> to this uh, the. Uh, these ladies, and they were old ladies then. I was just a kid, and uh, but I was doing historical, going around interviewing people, and they lived in Walnut Creek, and they used to race their horses oh, to yeah. the bottom of the hill, yeah. who could make it to the uh, uh, general store, and, and whoever did well, had when, to buy the other one a uh, soda or something. When I was a kid uh, growing up there, you know, when we came to Walnut Creek in in 1980. Um, it was just a sleepy little town. Like it actually would have reminded you a lot of Sonora and there, you know, we had huge orchards like apple orchards and other stuff. And then one day they chopped them down, you know, they're all gone now. Take paradise. huh? It was, yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah, I've been researching, uh, as much as like I go to the historic research, the counties facility where they keep all their yeah, stuff. Yeah, you're on a first-name basis over there. Uh, yeah, I want to thank Brad over there. He's really been working with me a lot because we're trying to reevaluate history 
uh, reinterpret uh, history to make it more relevant to sure. who, what I am is actually basically a culture bearer. Yes. I mean, I have to collect the remembrances and hand them on. And there has been in the past how it's been interpreted that there's a bias on like more like the established families sure. and leaving more marginalized people out or things that yeah. just don't well, quite fit. Right. Um, the, so what we've been doing is trying to find those neglected, nearly forgotten um, people, places, and events right. uh, that although that's their status, nonetheless has really added to um, the county's uh, culture and identity. Right. And, uh, and when I delved into this, I didn't know uh, what hole I was going to dig myself <laughs> in. It's a rabbit hole. the UFO thing. Oh, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, I actually found a photograph of one of the mystery airships. Really? It's, yes. And it's landed. And it, it really close up. It don't okay. look that impressive. <laughs> I need I need to meet you down there because I want to get a copy of that photo. Okay, I'll so, send I'll send it to you. Yeah, it's just a scan anyway. Yeah, send it to me. I don't know where the original was. Then, yeah. lost the time. Lost the time. That's well, yeah, fine. you've you've got some big news for Walter next week. You know, newsflash, everybody, definitely tune in next week. Well, you just go in, uh, in the historic records. Yeah, I guess I should save that. You should save it. Because it's We're supposed to hype it. Involved. Uh, it takes a lot of explanation for people. Walter, right away, he'll... He'll, he'll get it. Yeah, he'll get it and uh, build on that. No, this is, this is big. What you found is, is huge. Well, I don't know. No, no. In the, in the arrow world... Actually, you know what? On the on the fifteenth, well, thirteenth through fifteenth, when we have the uh, Nimzicon, you need to talk about that. Yeah, basically, all I'm doing there is uh, laying the groundwork for the layman, right? Uh, so that when they the experts come on and do the deep dive, <sighs> that everybody's kind of on already familiar with the lingo. Sure. Um, uh, so, and then from a local perspective. Of course. Uh, and in Nimzicon, uh, hopefully tomorrow I'll post a link on, on my Facebook. So just find me. It's Olaf Phillips. Find me on Facebook. I'll put a link to Nimzicon tomorrow. Okay. Boy, I'm like, what's the date of that? 13th, October 13th through 15th. Oh, boy, there's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, we have a few people that will be on site, but but for those are those are sold out except for special people. So, you know, it's it's on Zoom. It will be a Zoom, Zoom. Com- Zoom conference. Also, that is the day that uh, we're having all the Buckley heads. So uh, we have, I don't want to delve into Lord Buckley, but if everybody knows, this is the Bethlehem of Bop. His lordship. Um, you and this guy Buckley. Uh, yeah, because he was the father of stand-up comedy, and he was the progenitor of the counterculture movement. He was. Uh, he was the way you describe him is like he was like the prophet. He was. He was the prophet, the, the hipster, bebop. I'm preacher. looking at his photo right now. That's right. I have a big poster of him uh, sitting up, and he's our homeboy, born in Twali. But anyway. All the head heads, 
are coming together from across the country. Really? And so we're going to have Oliver Traeger, who wrote the book, Dig Infinity. Uh, Michael Montaloni, who made the movie Stompin' the Great Green Spear, or whatever it's called. And Walt Stempeck, whose audio documentary we have been playing on Fridays. So uh, that's one of the characters that will be in our uh, archives. So we're going to do a Center for Buckley Studies in, um, uh, at the Historical Research. Can we get any of these guys on? I'm going to have them on on the 13th, uh, but that's during the day. We'll see if one of them wants Men's to stay Men's at night, right? No, it's during the day. What time during the day? Oh, no, yeah. Oh, the two it's on, it's, on the, it's really on the Saturday. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, you'll, you'll be safe, Dave. All right. We need Dave there. Captain Dave needs a report for duty, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I hope so, because I, and I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to talking to uh, Bosley next, because uh, oh, yeah. I have lots of questions for him. He's delved into this a lot longer than I oh, have. Oh, yes, he has. I just have an interest, because I'm a homeboy in local history. Right. And boy, did I open something up. But I have something for us tonight. Okay. Okay, so. Saving the show. All right. So what it is, <laughs> is in my research... I found in at the Columbia College Oral History Library. And so uh, they've made attempts to digitize them. Um, and they're trying to start up the program again because I think they stopped recording stuff in like 1970 or something. Yeah, and, that happened uh, a lot. Okay. But so included in this collection was a little cassette tape. And it wasn't labeled. There was no date on it. Okay. It just says J. Jacobson. Or no, it doesn't say Jacobson. What did it say? Because I found out what the guy's real name is. It was like an unlabeled cassette, cassette tape. tape okay? This is the one you've got me. That's right. Okay. So what it is is a firsthand account, an eyewitness um, describing a close encounter of the third kind. Well, I'll tell you what. You it's know, when the saucers landed in Sonora. Well, I'll tell you what. We got, we got about 25 minutes b- before the top of the hour. Why don't we play it now, and then and we'll just let it go, and then next <laughs> afterwards hour, talk about. Okay, let me set this. Okay, real set quick. it up. Set it. This is a man. His name's Walter Jake Jacobson. And in 1963, he was the maintenance man uh, up top the hill. Gibbs Ranch is these towers. And he would go up to the towers and maintain them, the communication towers and uh, that served this area. And he lived there in Gibbs Ranch. And the opening scene, he'll describe all this to you, but the opening scene is where he's being interviewed and he's showing the interviewee these photographs of the spidery web-like residue left behind. Oh, there's that's right. Uh, from the saucers. That's and, right. I forgot and, about the uh, spidery web residue. Yeah. And, and that's then, a thing. And then them coming in for water, which if Pete Navarro and uh, Bosley will have a heyday on that, oh, why did sure. the flying saucers have to keep coming down for water? Well, that also goes back to uh, Otto Bender, but we can talk about that. All right, yeah, another, another time. So uh, here it is, is. And then after we play this, I'll have a remembrance and uh, a signed affidavit from a 
He was eight years old when this incident happened in 1963. Okay. And what his remembrance of it was today, and he never knew that I had this tape. Okay, here and we go. Let's see how the two stories go. I'm going to turn up the tiki music for one minute. What you saw in these pictures, and the reason why you took them, would you, uh, Mr. Yes, uh, those pictures there that you're looking at is the white substance, very similar to spiderweb cluster, hanging on these black burnt branches at the uh, hill, which is directly west of Sonora. Uh, this particular hill was burnt off by a forest fire two days previous to this, and on these trees you'll see the residue which I found the following morning hanging to the branches in a large semicircle pattern at the location of the sightings of the flying saucers or unidentified object machines. Uh, it was in a pattern about uh, 350 feet long and about 100 feet wide and was on the uh, dead tree branches and on the ground and on the fences and all indications were that the vessels or whatever the objects were took off in a south direction leaving this as residue from whatever source of propellant or power they used. These photographs are of that substance. Did you see these vehicles? Yes, I saw the three of them with a large sportsman spotlight. There was, on this hill, which was sliding up a hill away from me, there was three coming out of the building of the antenna site, the Sonora Community Antenna. There's a building up there I have which houses all the equipment. And this was a dark time, approximately 8 o'clock. And the, as I closed the door and looked across the hill, I saw these three lights, similar to a to maybe a glowing ember, a, yet a pinkish color, and uh, pinkish purple. And I looked at them, assuming there was still fire from the big forest fire, and as I watched them for quite a few minutes, they didn't seem to flicker or vary in intensity as a fire ember would. So I went to my pickup and got a large sportsman-type spotlight that I turned on the one, and that's when I could see at first it was a metallic object, and uh, it had a metal framework and covered with a skin of some type of highly polished metal, first thinking it was a truck of some radio amateurs who might have gone up there to use that high point for broadcasting. Then I could see it had no wheels on it. And uh, it was dome-shaped on top and uh, hat-shaped on the rim. And while investigating, looking closely, three men appeared from the left, walked around on this rim, always looking at me, and disappeared on the west side of it. And uh, I got into the pickup to put the headlights on it, but the hill on my side, sliding downhill, was impossible. And so, not knowing what it was, or who it was, or why they were there, I left the scene to come down the hill. It had rained the night before. 
the ground and showed the sprinkling of the rain. The only tire tracks leading to the antenna site and the only road there were my tires going up, which meant it was not a vehicle with, that could have gone up there by any road. So the next morning I went back up to investigate and uh, went to the exact location of the machines or objects and could find absolutely no residue, no nothing uh, thrown down the ground, no footprints whatsoever, or any sign of anything being there. Yet on all these black bushes, or manzanita trees, that the forest fire had burnt everything off except the stumps, this white residue was left on there. So I went and got the reporter from the Modesto Bee, and he came up there and took these pictures, and he, along with I, could not find any uh, signs of any footprints uh, on the ground at all. And that is nothing uncommon because of all other sightings, they do not walk on the earth, but walk on the rim of the ship itself. They evidently do not try to make any contact with any object of the earth. Can you describe the creatures that you saw? The men, the uh, three creatures or persons, to me, were very normal in every respect. Uh, the, by using the comparison of the distance the next morning and having a man walk over there, we, uh, and to get the size in comparison, they would be in the range of about 135 to 145 pounds and about 5 foot 4 to 5 foot 6 tall, being an average small man of our present civilization. They wore a uniform, uh, very similar to coveralls, very tightly knit, silver gray in color, very neatly tailored. Their caps were of the old style English cap type where we had a uh, beak on the front and used uh, here about 40 years ago as a very common thing, cap, uh, is the indication. Their features were, uh, uh, were such that if any one of them had been somebody I known, I would have recognized them as being a normal human being in every respect. Their walk, their uh, the way they turned their head and looked, they made no attempt to smile or show any voice features at all. Uh, other than as they walked around the three of them, they turned and looked at me as they walked across on this rim which then the next morning would seem to be about a, two feet off the ground. And they, as they disappeared, uh, let's put it this way, I did too. Did <laughs> <laughs> the vehicle make any kind of loud noise? The vehicle, both of them were all three of them, were sitting on the ground. These lights were on the back end, approximately three feet back of the outer rim. And they were sitting there with absolutely total silence. There was no, no noise of any description. Well, they, evidently, from your description, they're similar to this one here. Yes, from looking at that, now I couldn't tell you whether they, whether they had that double rim in the bottom or not, because looking across the hill that far at night, it wouldn't show. But it did show the top being dome-shaped and coming down to a wide brim of a hat. And I could see the metal framework under the skin. It looked like a billboard made of metal where you could tell where it's draped around and then the middle, the metal was moving in the breeze because the light reflected from it. It was very highly polished uh, green, dark green in color.
say there were some lights on the on the end on the the back well, to the right of the main ship about three feet now these, these and as i describe i would say now that they would look like you took a double-sized tennis ball that was painted uh pinkish purple and had a light on the inside it was a glow of that particular color and an absolute steady glow that did not vary one bit but it wasn't bright i wouldn't have noticed it if i hadn't been looking across there and thought of the fire two nights previously to think that a stump was still burning on the adjoining hill and they were dim enough that you would never even uh, have noticed it otherwise and they, they just rose up and went in a southerly direction. Oh, that is the assumption. I did not see them leave. They saw me leave, but I didn't see them leave. But in the morning, to, to how this stuff was blown, and knowing the direction of the wind, how it laid on the trees, that they would have disappeared in that direction up the hill, over the fence, because the maximum of the stuff was up in that direction, as they went over the fence. Then it steeped down the other side, so... And there was nothing more there. They were still there then when you left? Yes, they were there, there when I left. But they weren't there in the morning. Yet, uh, in my condition at that time, see, I had a full artificial leg, and I was just, had gotten over a broken right leg, six months in a wheelchair, and uh, my leg uh, wasn't too strong in getting around. And being up there alone at nighttime after dark uh, with this, uh, not knowing if they were American, they wouldn't want to s me to see them. If they were Russian, they'd make sure I didn't see them. Yet they had every opportunity to contact me knowing that I was there alone. They saw me standing outside the door with a light on the inside. And I, knowing they were there, if they wanted, they could have contacted me in any shape or form, which they made no attempt to. And so, uh, as every other case, they assume the they do not want to make personal contact, nor talk, and no noise was heard from them as far as voices or anything. And there's total silence up there because it's way up above the city of Sonora here. It's that high hill down here. Did you say you collected some of this white residue? Yes. Uh, yes, and I gave that to uh, just last just last summer to Dr. Strange's and it's now back at the uh, at Colorado at the Air Force Academy, wherever that office is. He has charge of now of the UFO investigate investigations for the Army and Air Force, and he has the the, the, uh, the stuff. Another incident facet to this story is, of course, going up there quite regular after that at nighttime to see if there would be a return. And uh, I, I believe there was a return of the ships on two separate occasions that made no attempt to land. I saw the lights coming in the distance, the bright white light moving from the south over Jamestown. And as they slowly came overhead to where I was out in the total darkness, I got my... Same big spotlight out, and as I turned it off and all, aimed at it, I turned it off and on three times, their light went out. Yet I waited ten minutes, and nothing happened. So, leaving the antenna site and driving down to the bottom of the hill, where I had to open the gate to get onto the highway, 
I looked up into the sky, and here this light was again moving very slowly to the north, which means it, it took me 15 minutes to come down there, well, close up and come down, and yet he would have been a long distance away at that time, but he proceeded to be there overhead again. And then I again got the spotlight and turned it all off and all like that, and his light went out, and I saw him no more that night. And it was two weeks later that the same thing happened. Yet since then, I have never made any contact up there whatsoever. I've tried, and uh, I haven't been up now looking at anything for the last year, uh, since last fall, I will be going up uh, now when the weather gets nicer. And uh, I have gotten every book available on flying saucers in order to, to read, to try to get more information. And uh, I've read of different ones being picked up and so forth, yet uh, we have no physical proof that they have. They're somehow they're not given that. They can't take pictures of it. They're not given any material or anything that would prove they have been on these on these ships. And uh, it could be possible. I would enjoy an experience like that. I wouldn't turn it down. We uh, had some reports up here too that you know this, uh, they call him Big Book. You know, they yes. Uh, the feeling is possibly that one of these uh, uh, beings, whatever it might be, could have got off one of these flying saucers. Now, this is this has been going around now. Well, that that, that is very, that is that is more sensible to to say to say that they are from some other source and are here just to explore, because you know our mountains up here and all through California and Oregon and during deer hunting season there's just tens of thousands of feet under and they, they, they find everything there isn't anything that isn't found and so if there is anything like those monsters up there they'd find the tracks or, or see them but when they do come and are sighted uh, there is a short sighting and after that there is no more at that location uh, up in Northern California happy camp up there they had this several years ago where they, they, uh, the, the thing actually attacked trucks and everything else. And they had a, they had a photograph, we're supposed to do a photograph, and they had it right there and saw it. But uh, that has disappeared, and of course, they, there again, they have no proof. The sightings of flying saucers today is that they, when they do see them, they make a cloud around themselves, and you can't see them. And they disappear. And when they come out of that, to land, they come out of that cloud. Mr. Jacobson, do you know of anyone else in this area that has cited After the last story came out of the paper, you would be surprised at the amount of people who called me up to talk to me in private. They were afraid of ridicule to mention it, and whenever they could, we met and would discuss a, a similar sighting, especially back in the mountain area. Deer hunters and people who live back there in lonely locations who have seen them. And uh, one doctor here in Sonora, who uh, is my doctor, my wife worked for him for 14 years, <laughs> as, a very, as one of the members of the, of the hospital group, saw one in down at Chinese camp, in behind the barn, set the lit on the field out there. Doctor, Mr. Jake, did you say he saw this uh, object or, or a friend of his? It was a friend of his. And lives here locally? It's one of the members of the Adventist church who lives in Chinese camp and saw it 
out in the field behind the barn. It came down and landed and took off. Was it described similarly to the one that you saw? Uh, yes, uh, yet a little smaller. Because I had to go in, in, in diameter, I would have had to go approximately 20 feet. These were approximately 20 feet in diameter. Figuring the distance across there, 300 feet, and visualizing the next day, my best of my ability, why it would be, well, you could say up to 25 feet in diameter. And, and I never talked to this other man. But I would say at least, I kept record, at least at first, at least 12 people came to me with stories of sightings. And they were afraid to uh, mention them. And uh, I found the public very much behind me when I, when I did come out with this. And when I discussed it on the street and somebody was rousing me, there wasn't a time that somebody didn't walk up and says, you can believe what he says. And the guy looked kind of <laughs> sheepish and uh, walked off. But uh, I believe there's lots of people more who have seen something. And these different ones would call me in private and uh, tell me their story. I would see them land up in the mountains up there, come in and, and land down and take water. One right? of them saw them come in and land the water and they took a hose down and got water and then took off. One was the, uh, definitely was a cigar-shaped machine up at Lyons, just above Lyons down there. And uh, up in the higher mountains, they were the saucer-shaped machines. And two balls of fire that deer hunters saw. A great big ball of fire, they said it looked about three feet in diameter, that moved right through the forest of the trees, yet set down in a fire, and settled down, and then took off again. They assured me they hadn't been drinking. Knowing them, I quizzed them. But, uh, have you had any of the other reports of uh, people being seen coming from these crafts? No, no. Just the crafts no. themselves? Yeah, just, yes. No, no, no other reports of, of any objects on the machine. They weren't wearing any special clothing, did you notice? Uh, yes, they cover all type of, of uh, and look a metallic, it would look greenish gray, or greenish, well, silver gray, uh, and a very neat, tight fitting coverall. It was a one piece unit. It had a belt around here. It was a one, one piece, uh, like a coverall. Nothing protecting your head. Just a cap. Just a, a ordinary, ordinary cap that you would like we used to wear 30, 40 years ago. That particular type, uh, not knowing whether it was. Well, it had the beak on the front and the the top on it. Uh, noticing mostly, of course, it showed the whole face. There's nothing else on there. You can see the had ears, nose, and eyes, and mouth. The mouths were never open. They were closed uh, as they looked at me. Were you close enough to distinguish features? Was there a difference? As I, yes, I could have. They all looked, no. The only thing I say, if any one of those three would have been somebody I knew, I would have been able to recognize them at that distance. Well, then are you saying that the features were different uh, as we are different? Yes, each fa was a little bit different, yes. Yeah, each one, each person was a, a different individual. Not too much, but enough you'd, you'd say, yes, there's three different men there. Uh, a little, a couple inches in height, and, and a, little, a difference in their walk a little bit, and uh, enough of the features, yes, because I was looking for somebody I might know to be up there. I was still thinking on the radio amateurs, because they go up in these hills around here, and one of our amateurs uh, was a surveyor, and the surveyor crew had been up there, and I figured, well, he knew how to get up there, and was there, and I was wanting to see it when I hollered at them twice. Hey, you know. 
nobody answered me. Just total, just total silence. Well, I figured, gee, if they knew me, which they should, they would have hollered back, Jake, what's... But nobody said a word. Then when I went down the road and noticed nobody had been on this newly road that had just been rained on. And that's the only road up there. They could not come any other way except by air. Could you tell what the color of the skin? Normal skin color. Yes. The white man. The yes, yeah, yes. Did you and say this was the first sighting of Sausalukin Singh? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right, first sighting. And then later you, you were back up there and you saw them come by and you saw yes. the light. And the light, the light uh, this time the light was a white, uh, white, bright light, like a... What is your theory behind them landing in that area? Uh, I would say this, my th thought, the whole thing, thinking about it right at the time, was I believe they were attracted here by the big forest fire that we had two nights previously, which burnt this whole mountain off and burnt there for, it was a tremendous fire for, uh, it lasted until, well, two in the afternoon till about 10 o'clock at night. And if they were up there around and saw this fire, then they came down. On the first sighting, did you actually see them? No, they were there when I came up. Uh, they could have been there when I went into the building. I was in the building approximately 10 minutes. But, I come up with the truck this way and turn the truck this way to the building and then I went inside, turned the light on and did the necessary work I had to do to repair the equipment that had broken the tube in and then I came out, turned the light on the building and stepped down and as I looked across that's when I saw these three glowing spots and I thought, oh my gosh, they couldn't be stumps burning yet. And I watched and watched and watched, and they didn't vary and flicker one bit. And that was very intriguing. So then I got my large spotlight and turned on there and saw that it was a type of vehicle. I wished I would have thought of flying saucer at the time, because I could have analyzed much more thoroughly. But not, in fact, being alone, and them not answering me, uh, a lot of things go through your mind. Well, so that uh, where, where to start? <laughs> okay, so that was a little cassette that was part of the Columbia College Oral History series, unmarked. Um, yeah, unmarked or poorly marked. Had no, all all of them usually have like the date, right? Who's being interviewed and who's interviewing them, and it didn't have any of that information on it. Okay, right. But if you notice during the conversation, at least three times they called him Mr. Jacobson. Right. Okay? So that's all I had to go by, really. Oh, by the way, you're listening to KADLP oh, yes. 103.5 FM, Sonora, California. Sorry. So I'm collecting UFO stories right. for my presentation or to enter into the historical record is what my goal is. Yes, I actually found an article about you. Uh, in the Union Democrat about the Sonora X-Files. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll show it to you later. <laughs> anyway. All right. So uh, I corresponded with this guy from Toronto. Okay. But he was actually born and raised in Sonora. Interesting. And he wanted to tell me about his UFO encounter okay. on Bluebell, um, which is going up Tuolumne Road. There's a road. And we can get into his uh, sighting. Sure. 
I'm sure we will. But he also tells about, he said, and I had, I had, this is him, what he wrote me. <clears throat> I had an incident at the age of eight okay. in 1963 with a next door neighbor. Wait that a was, minute. Didn't this, the guy who was talking, he was talking about something that happened about then, right? Okay. So what happened is this recording was probably made in the, uh, the winter. Uh, in early 1964. Okay, but it happened, I think you said in the summer of 63. It happened in the summer okay, of 63. Okay, go back to your, your thing. Okay, so I got this letter from a guy that tells his UFO story. Oh, my goodness. But what he's people. saying is I had a primer because something happened to me when I was eight years old. Okay. Okay, my family was staying at my grandmother's house, and our next-door neighbor was Walter Jacobson. Okay. And I found out later in further research that everybody called him Jake. And he was in his early 60s. Or so. Okay, Walter worked as a handyman, but also as a maintenance security man for the radio antennas right. located on top of Gibbs Estates. So if you're at Save Mart, the lower Save yeah. Mart, you see all those antennas up right. on the hill. Right, I wondered what those were. There's, okay, so that's Gibbs Ranch. So that's where it happened is where those antennas are that I can see that's from right. Saber. That's where the saucers landed. That's where the saucers landed. Okay. So uh, Walter went up to check on them a couple times a week. And then uh, we're then accessed by a dirt road. One night, I believe it was in the summer, there was a loud knock on our door and Dad told me to answer it. When I opened the door, Walter was standing there just ash white and visibly shaking. I remember it vividly. As being only eight, but I'd never before seen a grown man so afraid. My dad came to the door and walked outside and told me to stay inside. Two or three years later, my father told me what had transpired. Why he told me at my age, I am still not sure. Possibly because of my encounter with Walter, which he knew I still remembered. Right. So uh, the kid's trying to listen in, but can't. And then... Sure. Walter told my father that he'd gone up to check on the equipment at about 7 p.m. As it was dark when he arrived at our house and the porch light was on. Walter went on to explain that when he arrived, he noticed a small silver disc about 20 foot in diameter and about 6 foot tall. And in that tape, he said 25. 25. Yeah. 25 feet in diameter, 6 feet tall. Okay, now. Which actually, 6 feet tall doesn't seem that high well listen to okay so this is a letter from an he was eight years old at the I, time I when this that. incident happened it. right and you just finished hearing the tape of the guy that, that he actually, actually had the experience it. right right and uh the the man that's writing me now when he was eight years old in 1963 he has no idea that i have that tape or that tape even exists right Okay. Walter went on to explain that when he arrived, he noticed a small silver disc. Uh, there was a hatch open on the side. It was then that he saw three small gray aliens, about four foot tall, with large head, uh, heads and large eyes. He was shocked, and he said the creatures were as well. They moved toward the ship, and he jumped in his truck and sped home. The next, next day... Uh, my father went with him to the exact spot, and my father said that there was a darkened depression about 20 feet in diameter. 
For Walter in the year 1963 to feel so afraid that he was compelled to tell my father speaks to the truth, Walter was a good and honest man, and the stories like this were not just concocted. I believe my father then, and I still do to this day. And, but, and I believe that Curtis, that is his memory as eight years old. Sure. Uh, but uh, notice it's the grays. Right, it's become the grays. Right, yeah. instead of the... Well, he, he mentioned something else in there that I thought was really interesting. He was talking about the fact that they came down and they got water. Oh, no. they, oh yeah, yeah. They pulled out a hose. And they were sucking water out of somewhere. Yeah, not not the ones that he saw, but he said they're they're seen all the time here, and um, uh, and they're often seen over the lakes sucking out water sucking with a hose. Yeah. The reason that's interesting is that there's a guy named Otto Bender, and he wrote a book called The Three Men about an interaction that he had. He was head of the Flying Saucer Review, I think. Anyway, Bender had published all these books and pamphlets about UFOs. And one day he got a visit from three men in black and they told him to shut the whole thing down. So he shut everything down, walked away from UFOs and whatever. Later he, he wrote in a book what happened and they, they told him that the aliens were coming to take water. They were actually coming here to take water. And uh, do you know that? Which is weird. Uh, and what's really weird is during the Phantom Airship mystery of 1896 and 7. Right. Uh, over and over again in the uh, reports in all the various newspapers, uh, anytime one of those vehicles landed or there was an interaction between the populans. Right. And uh, the people, masters of the ship, right. they were always asking for water. Or oh, we just really? stopped for water. Oh. And, uh, yeah, and there's a lot of speculation. And, you know, you know, the outfits that they were wearing, I mean, the way he describes it, you know, it sounded like something that could have been worn by an aero crew. Yeah, typical flight suits. Yeah. Flight, uh, well, at that time, flight coveralls. Yeah, the flight coveralls, that's right. I mean, my, my grandfather was an engineer in the Army Air Corps, and he uh, you know, he had coveralls, and th- they would describe them as coveralls, but it was a flight suit. Right, and he said that just was normal, everyday-looking people. Right. They were all approximately the same kind of work size. Hats. Yeah. Um, but if he had seen one on the street, he would have recognized them. So they had eye contact. They just ignored him, just cho- chose to ignore him, which spooked him. Yeah. That's when he says, man, if there's the, the Americans, they'll want to get rid of me. If it's the Russians, they'll want to get rid of me. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, the common thing now, the common thread with the folklore of today, even outside of Tuol- Tuolumne County, is a breakaway civilization. Yes. Yeah, actually, Walter, Walter and I have spoken at length about Breakaway civilizations and how that fits into NIMSA and, and the Sonora Aero Club. You know, the the contention is that the Sonora Aero Club is one of the very early uh, kind of representations of a breakaway civilization. And it, a breakaway civilization being a, a civilization that has achieved some sort of technical proficiency. So they 
they are divergent and separate from mainline, you know, the mainline civilization that we all experience every day down here in the basement. They've achieved some sort of technical capability, so they're beyond that now. Oh, yeah. If they started off 50 years ahead and... Uh, well, we should define it. <laughs> there yeah. People will be like, breakaway civilization, what? Yeah, well, that's I, why I told you, well, I told you during the break that, you know, whenever I tell the story of the Tesla Super City, you know, in the, in the Andes, it's only partially in jest. There are a number of people that believe that that city exists and is real. So, uh, do you want to hear uh, Curtis's? Uh, I would love to. Story of his sighting in Tuolumne County. In Tuolumne County. So, I've just collected dozens and dozens of these. But, you know, that's a close encounter of the third kind. Then they would looked at each other in the eyes. No, that's straight up. And, third, uh, third and then there's a documentation from other sources. Yeah, you've discussed that in the past. And yeah. now we've got this cassette tape, too. So, and um, it is. I for a little while I was a reporter, and then the, the common thing is is say you get three different sources. You got more than three, and um, you probably got the truth. So here, here this guy is. It's in the spring of 1972. Okay, and by this time he's 17. Okay, okay, and uh, this was an act of time for. Uh, it seems they come in waves. Yeah, about like, every 10 years. Um, I was 17 and was taking my girlfriend at the time to her home on Bluebell Road, just off Tuolumne Road in Sonora. So his girlfriend is Sarah Rogers, who is now Sarah Siegestrom. And uh, it was about 6.30 p.m. See, these are all home, hometown folks. As a matter of fact, when as much as I could glean uh, from Deschau's work and stuff. There's so much verification, not because they necessarily could find members of any reference to the Aero Club. Right. Um, E.G. No, e. Navarro came up here and looked and couldn't find anything on Sonora Aero Club. But in um, Deschau's recollections, his memoirs, right. he just, um, he knows the sheriff, he knows... The boarding house oh, yeah. really existed. They, uh, he talks about Peter Menes flying over Montezuma, and everybody scratches their head about that. It was a mine on Table Mountain and a little community that grew up next to the mine. Well, I think that also Navarro, there, the one thing about here is that one of the things that Navarro points out, I believe, is that he said, well, I went to the cemetery and I couldn't find anything. Okay, what cemetery did you go to? No, uh, later research, they did find some headstones with cemetery. Oh, what, yeah. What, um, there's a, there's a, was it Old School Road? There's a cemetery up there. I mean, there's cemeteries everywhere around here. Yeah, it's just that if you don't find them in the census or the tax records. That doesn't mean um, anything. Yeah, in a way it doesn't because at that time there were thousands of gold miners and it's just the families that stuck around. That uh, right. I mean, if somebody's the sheriff or if somebody runs the boarding house, then there's documentation. Sure. But a gold miner just coming through here. No, I mean in the in the 19th century, even into the early 20th century, large amount of the population here was transient, right? Because they were gold miners. Um, the uh, Shaw's was uh, transient. Four, yeah, four years or something. He was right. here, and then he left. Uh, that's and he left, and that's typical. But his description 
of life at that time and that everything he mentions can be verified, uh, that there is documentation on that, or as much as that I've been able to learn. You can't sit down. Pete Navarro had a privilege of having all 15 books at his disposal. Oh, I know. It's, they've been, uh, the books have been disassembled and sold by the page. Oh, yeah, it's about 12 grand a page. And um, I heard of one recently, $25,000. Yeah, I found one for 12000 12, Yeah, but. no, you can, yeah. yeah they, they're, they're all over the place, but I mean, they're expensive. But I, what I'm saying is there's no books altogether. So you rely on what you can glean. And fortunately, yeah, there is available. Uh, uh, many pages of his memoirs and stuff that you can... You know, I'll tell you, before you get to the guys... Oh, yeah, I'm diverging. It's okay. That's what we do here. We're tangential. We're liminal. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of the things that I'm really honestly surprised about, you know, I, I did find some articles about the old UFO museum here, but I'm surprised there's not a Sonora Aero Club Museum. I mean, it's- it would make sense, wouldn't it? I think uh, down there uh, at, at what was the community of Woods Creek, right. which is supposedly the very first Sonora Aero Club flight uh, now, by now Peter Menace on the Aero Goosey, right. uh, happened, and there should be a plaque there. Whether the story is fictional or non-fictional. Uh, it's culturally relevant. That's right. And um, I think it's I, I think that all the evidence says that it, it's real. Um, uh, but uh, I he says he launched from Woods Creek, and that was a little community on the other side of the creek from Jamestown. So you just you know where Jamestown is, you go across Highway 108. Where the creek and stuff is over there, yeah. that's that's it. That's what that oh, over, was over creek. by the over by the butcher and the the bar. Uh, no, no, I'm talking about oh, the, the other, other side, side of mm-hmm. Highway 108. Where, yeah. Uh, yeah, there is a bar there. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, there's a bar yeah. there. Um, that bar could very well be where they launched the. That is from. an old. Yeah, that's what I'm right yeah. the, right around there. Yeah, right around and, the bar. Um, and then he names places that. No, he obviously knew this place. He right. lived he here. He had been here. But it, it just, it, again, before you get to the sighting, it just, it boggles my mind. Because out of everything that's ever happened in, in Sonora, this is like the biggest news ever. You know, the, okay, we, we got a lot of mining. You know, there's a lot of gold rush history here. But the Sonora Aero Club is a completely unique thing. And there's no museum. And there's nothing about it in the county museum. The county historical society has you come down on a on a frequent basis to talk about it. Or I mean, I'm working with the, who yeah. now is this a coordinator? And my opinion is is because this stuff has relevance to the, our, my generation or the uh, sure. generation that is now the culture bearers. So we have to reinterpret our but, history. To make it more relevant yeah, but to the, we have a we have a little military museum. We we have yeah, a we fire do. we have a firefighting museum. Yeah, you know you, you drive over toward Angels Camp. We there's a logging museum. I so, mean, why is there no Sonora Aero Club Museum? Ah, uh, well, uh, there might be a project. Uh, yeah, we can work on. That's some. I mean, I think it or should at least exist. a plaque. Yeah, 
I mean, the Clampers put up plaques all over for all kind of reasons. Well, yeah, Lyman, the guy in in a. in uh, Lincoln, who had the steam-powered aircraft. I mean, oh, yeah. they put up a plaque for that. Gilmore Lyman is now yeah. uh, elementary school, and they call yeah. it the Lyman, Lyman elementary, elementary school. school. Well, the the arrow that was down in Livermore that they sabotaged, I mean, they, you know, they put up a plaque for that. I mean, e- ECV, they, they should put up a plaque for that. I also, you know, I wonder, because they, they have so much history. Like, they, they have so much history in their archives they have to have something about it well in the county museum there's not no but i i'm talking about the clampers the, oh. the clampers must have have something about i it don't know i was hoping they'd uh, put up a statue of lord buckley and swallow me but uh, <laughs> well they don't do statues and, and you know what's real funny is that i was talking because i have friends that are clampers i mean yeah, everybody knows a clamper all uh, right everybody knows a clamper and then the guy tells me, says, oh, he was nothing but a drunk. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. should, anybody who knows the clamper, the clampers, that's their main that's purpose th- in life. That's their thing. <laughs> no, I, I mean, seriously, I, you, you know they must have some kind of fat archive of stuff. I don't know. Well, I'm, I mean, nobody I'm trying knows. to create a fat archive of stuff. Oh, you're working hard at it. But okay. I, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to make it a lifetime profession or anything. I don't know, man. You're pretty good at this. Okay, sightings. All right. Here we go. So uh, he's dropping off his girlfriend. Okay, it's like 6.30 in the evening. Yes. I delivered her and was headed down and around the short horseshoe band in the road, not more than 350 feet from her house. When I encountered just 250 feet in front of me and about 65 foot above, a small grassy knoll, a gray cigar-shaped UFO. It was approximately 80 feet long and 25 foot in diameter with rounded, not blunted ends. I immediately turned off my car and was in disbelief, but I felt no fear. I opened my car door and exited my car. The UFO was hovering motionless and completely silent. It had approximately five portal windows about three foot in diameter on the side facing me as the craft was sitting perpendicular to me. There was not a dog barking or a bird singing. The silence was, a, okay, he waxes poetic here. But I looked to my right and there was a mobile home. And uh, I moved directly to the front door and knocked. A couple in their mid-60s opened the door and I just said, please, you have got to see this. And they looked somewhat alarmed, but did as I requested. So it had an awning over the mobile house, and the awning blocked their view, so they stepped to the front of it and looked up. They did not say a word to me, and both appeared very afraid and ran back inside. (laughs) Not surprised. (laughs) Uh, So his thoughts was to find witnesses. So uh, the craft had not moved an inch. It's just hanging and, there. And I'm telling you, that's really common. I have, I don't know if we're going to get them tonight, but I have a couple other stories where the thing just hovered, uh, hovered there for long periods of time. I got back into my car and started the engine, and almost on cue, the UFO started moving slowly south in the same elevation and silent. Um, I do believe without question they were aware of my presence, even though I never saw a light in the, in the portal windows. I guess there are runaway mirrors there. So I raced in reverse back to Sarah's house. 
and started, uh, I raced into the house yelling for Sarah and headed for her deck to see the, uh, which also faced south, and you could easily see 100 miles to Merced, so they're kind oh, of wow. on the hill on Bluebell. Okay. Uh, my gaze shifted slightly left, and the craft shot towards the south at a speed I could not possibly estimate before Sarah arrived. So uh, she missed it. I called Columbia Airport and Castle Air Force Base the next morning, and they said there was there was nothing. That's a good question, though. I wonder. I mean, obviously, Castle's been shut down. There, there's got to be stuff in Blue Book. There's got to be. Uh, well, there, there uh, was one story. Um, so I think uh, that Edward Congdon, the Congdon Report, yeah, he chose um, only 58 or 50-something 50 cases, and they were all of the same year, out of the thousands of reports. Right. And I think he chose the ones that he thought he could most easily debunk. Yeah. And uh, But out of those, there were 15 cases that had to be left unexplained. Right. And one of those unexplained Congdon report cases happened here in Sonora. And uh, they caught it on film. It was one of the early... Oh, right. It was one of the movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To this day, you can go see the James... Uh, what was the name of the movie? And, and they didn't get enough footage, so they had to leave it in. Right, and, you can see it fly behind him. <laughs> right, you can see the UFO fly fly behind the cowboy on the horseback, and uh, uh, that's really there. They didn't intend it to be no. there. And they and Cogden are the people that was working for him. Said, "Well, you man, you could manufacture this." And the guy straight out told him, he says, "If we wanted to manufacture a UFO, we could have done a better job." Than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So about 40%, uh, they say, of the UFO encounters happen uh, around Table Mountain. Or, uh, yeah, it's always about Table Mountain, Dave. All comes back. Well, you know what I kind of determined, and, and I don't have any facts for this case or not, but uh, there is kind of generally accepted that the um, uh, test flight place where the Snur Aero Club was out, where the Columbia Airport is yeah, now. Yeah, over where the where the And camp, it seems logical because at, at this time, it's kind of a little isolated from the town of Columbia. Right. And it's uh, well, flat. Yeah, it is. It's flat. Uh, uh, flat open area. But in 1857, that's right next to Springfield, and Columbia was a dry diggings. And uh, so the only water was there. That's why they call it Springfield. And uh, they'd be going down that road, Springfield and Springfield, where Airport Boulevard and stuff is. Now, uh, there was hundreds of miners a day with their carts going back and forth. Uh, um, that was a pretty heavy. So if I was going to guess, and that's all it would be, sure. is a guess, is I, I would think uh, Table Mountain is very isolated yeah. and you can't get a flatter space than no. uh, that. Um, but why now? Why now? Yeah, oh, you said 40% of the UFO sightings over Table Mountain. I, I don't know. I don't know why. No, there, there's something about it's one Table of life's Mountain. little mysteries. <laughs> no, that's one of life's big mysteries, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it says fully 40% of 
of local sightings come from the West County area. So that's Table Mountain. And uh, so, and then here's another one that um, they're on O'Burns Ferry Road. So it's Table Mountain area. Right. So a rancher was driving home about 3 a.m. when his car was bathed in an eerie red glow. And when is this? This was in 1981. Okay. Yeah, 80s. Wow. Oh, that was a ten, real act of. Ten act years of later. You're right. Yeah. 81, 72. It's about 10 years. Ah. Wow, you're totally right. There was a big one in the 1990s, too. Ten and you know, the nature of the craft changes as well. You know, those uh, cylinder ones kind of went out of style. You don't yeah, see disc, came, discs anymore. No, there a lot of them are... are Triangles were big tri- in the 90s. Yeah, they were big in the 90s. <laughs> They've kind of made a resurgence, but I think a lot of, a lot of cigar-shaped ones now. Um, oh, you think the sh- cigar shape's coming yeah, back? Yeah, I mean, when they talk about the Tic Tac and these other things. I mean, oh, yeah, I guess you're right there. cigar Uh What's the most common one now, it seems to be, are maybe it's just because there's so many people that right. have seen them. Is the dancing lights, or oh, I yeah. call them the dancing lights. Yeah. It's uh, what uh, at first appears to be a star, but it shines too bright and then starts doing erratic moving all over. They the call sky. those nocturnal lights. A nocturnal light, okay. I like dancing lights more. Uh, dancing. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of my own term. No, it works. Because all I do is just talk to people and sure. they give me their accounts, and uh, it seems to be a real common one. You and know, the orbs traveling through the forest. Oh, yes. That's actually in the Paulides thing. The, Missing 411 Hunters, the one that's on Amazon, those guys out by the Dardanelles and Kennedy Meadows, the hunters, they talked about orbs and, uh, well, one guy described a lightsaber moving through the forest. Oh, yeah. yeah I, uh, I listened to that interview with, uh, uh, he's, he's a guy connected to Sarah Sounds. Um, uh, but you heard uh, Jake while. Uh, uh, Jacobson yeah. um, talk about the orbs traveling. They oh, yeah. the deer hunters. Yeah. Uh, uh, we need so. we need to have like a like a a county meeting where people can come and tell us their uh, their sightings. We are. So we're on this thing on the eleventh. Oh, you're doing. Uh, I said right in the advertisement. Bring uh, bring your own story. And when when is this on the eleventh? This is um. October. Uh, October Wednesday, 11. October the 11th. I hope I'm getting this right. It's 6 o'clock at the main library in Tuolumne okay. on Greenlee Road. Okay. And I'm doing a presentation on the UFOs. That's why I got all this stuff. I, right. I've uh, been doing my homework. But I go way back from 1849 up to today. No, actually, I do it backwards. Or I skip around. I time trip. I start with the modern, and then I go way back to 1850, and then I go back to the war, because that was an important time when the um, UFOs really took off, the saucer craze. And then I go back in time again to the 1850s. No, I hope I can make it. Well, even if you can't, uh, you'll get it sooner or later from me. I'm sure. But we will record it, and people bring your own stories. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of them. Uh, it seems to be, and I do get the occasional person go, <laughs> they go, uh, 
Uh, it's my supposition that if you've lived in Tuolumne County for any length of time, you either have or know someone who has had some kind of close encounter, right? Yeah. And I, uh, and uh, this lady, some of us were talking, and the lady goes, well, I guess I'm the odd person out because... I've never seen anything, and I don't know anybody who's but seen it. But did you ask? No. She's talking to a group of people who have all had an experience. That's oh, what, true. That's what made me laugh. I said, well, what about me? And she goes, oh, yeah, that's true. And the other guy, well, what about me? I went, yeah. well, I guess, yeah, that's true. That's like at the Bigfoot Symposium, they had the map, and you could draw where you saw stuff. Yeah, the first year. Everybody just lines up. uh, The first year that they had that, and they brought the big map out and says, well, anybody who has, um, you know, had any kind of experience at all, uh, come and put a pin where it is. Yeah, and everybody's like. And everybody, there's a line. You know, I mean, there's a line. Wow. They're waiting in line to do it. I I didn't expect that, actually. Okay. So a 35-year-old rancher is driving home, saw his car bathed in light, and just hanging still just west of the road, okay? Gotcha. All right. Now, see, these they start coming together. At the same time, another O'Burns Ferry rancher, Garland Hennington, was out to catch a breath of fresh air saw the same object just sitting there in the sky. It wasn't moving an inch, he said. Harrington described the object as round, having red lights and being pretty good size, okay? Okay. So, okay, here's two people independently. In the uh, same area. In the same area. So, um, wow, this goes on for a a little while. Uh, They go into Detailed descriptions of, uh, of this thing, okay? And, uh, oh, and so as it's sitting there, um, the guy that, that's in the car that pulled off and got out of his car, right. uh, he the said rancher. that uh, the craft was hovering not more than 500 yards from him, about 50 feet long, and he could see a series of uh, window lights. Then two more UFOs, uh, saucer-shaped and bright white, came into view. They appeared in the sky, lined up with the other shaped craft. Um, And after a few minutes, one white object, which had been a stationary position, took off and flew southwest at a rapid way to speed. Okay, this is why I wrote the whole thing down. Speed had stunned Mr. Herberger. These are from like big files that I've collected. As the object took off, he heard a whirring noise like a beehive. So, so that's another. That's an important point okay. because, meanwhile, um, uh, members of the George Bedford family, which uh, Green Spring Rose, which is in the same area, right. Reported hearing a whirring oh, noise same thing at as the exact same time. Well, you got your three sources. Yeah, I have my three sources. That's exactly right. And, uh, well, there you have it. And so you start 
putting these different sightings together and then you come up with this collaborating stuff and it fleshes it out and makes it go, okay, you got three witnesses witnessing the same thing at the same time independently and telling right. their stories independently as well. Yeah. And then you collect them together and you go, okay, there's got to be something uh, to this. And that happened down there by Table Mountain. That was one of the more striking. I'm telling you, there's something about Table Mountain, Dave. I don't know if you've ever been out to Don Pedro. No. The dam? No. Kind of spooky place. Yeah. Yeah, they once thought it was going to be this big community. I knew somebody that lived down there. And they said, yeah, when we bought this place, they said, man, it's going to be a big thriving community because there's a dam Right. And a waterway, and you can have a boat and sure. everything. Well, it never took off. So out in the middle of nowhere, there's this little isolated trailers. Yeah. <laughs> and this real spooky bridge that you go over the dam on and stuff. And uh, well, that's, like, that's like Copperopolis. You know, they built that downtown for Copperopolis. I think they thought it was going to grow into this thriving but they it, did. The housing track that was supposed to be across the road yeah. never happened. No. So you have this thing. And to me, it's it looks just like the 1950s, oh, yeah. Back to the Future film. It is. It's like Back to the Future. Because uh, it has the clock tower. It has the clock tower. It has the, the bandstand. Uh, the bandstand. It has yeah. the soda shop. It has the soda shop, the barbecue, uh, which is pretty good. The barbecue place. Uh, but there's nothing around no. it. It's isolated. It's in the middle of a field. It's in the middle of a field. Off it's Highway just, 4. It's just yeah. the strangest place. It, it is a weird place, I got to tell you. Uh, the closest is around the corner there. Is that Highway 4? And what's the name of that? Now, that place has been since 1850. Oh, uh, the bar? Yeah, the bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Main Street. Yeah, but um, uh, outside of, yeah, they thought it was going to be a thriving community. It never happened. Yeah. And that is a very strange place. Well, it's because it's, it's, this whole area is in the middle of nowhere. You could even see at the town, Copperall Office Town Square, where they have these roads and they literally go nowhere. They go they nowhere. Just stop. Yeah, I know. Because they thought it was going to be this big thriving thing. I know. And it never was. And they have this like weird hotel. It is strange, isn't it? Yeah. You've been in that lobby? I've never been up in I've one been of in the, the lobby. No, I've only been. I, I almost want to get a room there just to see. Yeah. And they, they have a lot of, like, events, like, for Christmas, but it's all, like, Norman Rockwell kind of. Yeah, they. Uh, it's all 50s, uh, 50s uh, out. Yeah, they hired us to do, uh, play music for the dog walk. Okay. Uh, where everybody gets together and walks their dogs around the square. And we thought we were well rehearsed. We did He's a Tramp. Sure. Uh, what other songs that we did from... Um, uh, these different like Disney movies and everything that, that all the talk, and they got mad at us because we didn't do Who Let the Dogs. Out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Okay. That was the kind of act. That's the caliber of activities you're right. There's no. The dog yeah. Walk. Oh yeah. For for Christmas, you know, you can go into the. They have a little event. You can go into the weird hotel and get it. Get like a hot chocolate. I don't know though. It just it's a little too fifties for me. I just feel weird when I'm there. But yeah, the barbecue place is good. We actually uh, filmed a little film there, and, and it took place there because of that 
Yeah, they try to recreate. To me, yeah. you're trying to create the 1950s Hill Valley. I mean, that's what yeah. it looks like. It looks it just looks, like a movie set. It does. It really looks like a movie set. And they have all these places where there were supposed to be shops, and they're, they're like real estate offices and stuff. It's yeah, they, really uh, right. It never took off. And no. it's isolated and totally great. And we made a little film there. And uh, the Soda Fountain Place was like our sponsors. They, oh, they even had the phone on the wall. Yeah. Uh, where you. Oh, you crank it. Crank it to get a phone it's, call. It's it's Radio Dave. When you're cranking your hand, they can't oh, see you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, talk about a liminal space. That's, oh, yeah. That's one right there that I never really but you thought can't, of. But you can't help it. I think the only the only thing around here that I've seen that isn't liminal is that huge that huge house off Lake Tullock that has like the water slide over by the ECV uh, plaque. That's not liminal. <laughs> the houses around Lake Tullock are not liminal. Here's uh, one lady driving over Don Pedro Dam. Okay. Yeah, it looked like a g- big giant wine bottle with an elongated head. Yeah, that's that's it floated. Cigar. Says it seemed it was going at Wait a helicopter. When was it? This was in September fourteenth, two thousand and twelve. Okay, ten years. Thursday morning. Ten years. Ah, uh, and there was like a cylinder, and it says it it went along like a hot helicopter speed. And okay. she goes, there's no way I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Uh, you know, it's like in slow-mo, and then all yeah. of a sudden it just shot off. It just vanished. That's what they do. Uh, she tried to get out her cell phone, but she was too rattled to take a picture. That's, that's what commonly happens, is that you get rattled. So here's, um, at that time, they try to consult Ruben uh, Yuri Arte. I know him, the head of NorCal MUFON. That's right. Ruben's a great guy. I like okay. him. Okay. Maybe, maybe one day we can have him on. Oh, yeah, I can get Ruben on. And uh-huh. he has a co-author named Noe, Tor- Noe Torres, and they do some great books. Yeah, Ruben's, Ruben's a good guy, great researcher. He said the Sierra Foothills historically have a lot of activity when it comes to unexplained aircraft. Yeah, I used to go. I, I was a member of NorCal MUFON. He said Sonora is a hotbed. It's been a hotbed over the years. Yeah. He said some of that like can likely be attributed to the numerous military bases in the region that test new aircraft. Not anymore. But that doesn't really take away from the u- unusual anomalies in the area. Yeah, but there are no military bases here testing new aircraft anymore. No, I guess there Unless you talk about CAL FIRE. I, you know, I had a buffalo fly over my house today, but other than that. There's a lot of, that can't be explained, he said. And then there was one. Uh, yeah, these are just, and these aren't including any of the uh, newspaper clippings. that. Uh, um, there was one 1996, Highway 108 behind the Safeway store. Okay. Pulled the car over, and uh, it was it was in the morning. <clears throat> uh, okay, he says it looked like a snowball. <laughs> yeah, that's common too, like a comet or a snowball. Sure, 
He said he reported to the Sonora police just to get it on record. Okay, you know what you need to do, Dave? You need to call the Sonora police, and you need to ask them. You know who uh, get, is the first responders usually? Highway Patrol. I would call the Highway Patrol, the, the Sonora Police, and the Sheriff's Department because the Sheriff's Department's going to do all the county stuff. I bet oh, you. Oh, uh, uh, I, I have. Here's one that I actually have the footage. Okay. That's associated with September 21st, 2008, a huge glowing object passed over Sonora heading due north. And uh, and disappeared behind the trees. I have that footage. It was captured on video. Uh, here's one. My dad saw seven lights flying in formation. Uh, it sounds just like the Kenneth Arnold one. I seen uh, 1982. So it's shaped like a long tube of flat ends. 1980, 1980, uh, Jamestown near the old pa- pond where they, uh, over there by the railroad tracks, yeah. Railtown. Uh, says it went straight down to the, into the ground. Really? Says I looked for hours. So just stared at that thing, just was there. Did it go into the pond or just went into the ground? I don't know. It doesn't say. Interesting. Uh, here's driving up the Twain Hart Soulsbyville grade. There's um, a, wife, a wife and her husband. Okay. And the same highway another person did around 11 o'clock. Well, you know, at the, at the top of that off Confidence, there's a UFO that hangs around. Off yeah. Confidence Road. Uh, uh, what is that called? That's called the cap up there by confidence. So it's like a, uh, uh, a lava cap. Uh, oh, really? And the lava flowed down, which made Table Mountain. Right. Everybody thinks that's one big flow. It wasn't. It was a series over one point something million years. Yeah. That's how it finally displaced the river, because where does lava want to go down? It wants to, so it displaced the river. Yeah. And then everything around it eroded. It's a little more complicated than this. This is the layman's version. That's okay. Uh, and then you have a perfect cast of what, where the river once was. That's, that, it's just such an unusual landmark. But as it was spilling down there, it wasn't quite displacing the Stanislaus River and just created a cap, and that's called the lava cap. Okay. Uh, so there's like these domes, uh, lava domes. And uh, there, it is an airy place up there. I used to house it. Oh, yeah. And, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, my parents have a place up of confidence. You go out on the deck, it just, it slowly moves across the sky. And then I have this one, too. I have... Um, uh, June 15th, 2004, I have the footage of that, and I didn't realize, well, I guess I did realize this because I'm the one that collected this stuff, but um, they showed it on UFO Hunters. Okay. Oh, and uh, also, what was the name of that uh, show that uh, Dan Aykroyd did? Oh, UFOs Unplugged. Unplugged. Yeah. Um, all <clears throat> the footage from that show was from Tuolumne County. 
You know who I who I should get on? Bill Burns, the guy who was the host of UFO Hunters. Okay. I think I can get him on. Oh yeah, he uh I seen I, I did, I watched the clip, but I didn't realize, yeah, Mark Olson was a dentist up here. And he and uh uh he was way off into UFOs. And he's he's uh, lives on there on Green. He he doesn't anymore. He moved, but uh, he lived on Greenlee Road in one of those apartments with a deck, and he put a uh, he put a camera on it. And yeah, and yeah, I heard about it. Just that. always had the camera there. And yeah, he, he captured some stuff. Oh, he captured hundreds of hours of stuff. Um, I've heard of that. And, in fact, Ruben Ruben sent guys from NorCal Mufon to go talk to him. Uh, I think he just is because he looked up in the sky so much and he had that thing ready. Yeah. And uh, I have one. Uh, it wasn't filmed by Mark, but uh, or Dr. Olson, but um, it was there on Greenlee Road. And it looked like a big um, uh, explanation mark. Oh, really? Uh, it was white. Uh, it was like silver metallic or white, you know, shining in the sun. And it looked like an explanation mark, like there's a separate little thing flying with it underneath. That's crazy. I have that footage. Um, oh, yeah, what was I going to say about this? You know, I heard about one up here once that it was shaped like a box. I have the footage of that. Okay. I, I have, and it changed Changes, yeah, it changes color, but it, it literally is like a box. A box. It flying is. through it's the a air. Bo- a box flying. That, yeah. But slowly. Yeah, slowly. Slowly makes its way till it disappears uh, behind the mountain. And I think that is in the table, the West County area. Um, I have, uh, if you guys come there, I'll show you the footage of that. Now, I Absolutely. condensed it down to just a couple minutes. Sure. Uh the opening one, that faint, well, I don't know. There's other footage that has the same deal on it. But uh, uh, I have the footage that's kind of famous where um, the jet is going through or the air- airplane, uh, and uh, you see this, like, a disc-shaped thing flying mm-hmm. in the contrails. And then at first you think, well, maybe that's just a reflection of a bird or something. But it actually not only overtakes <laughs> the aircraft and starts flying circles around it. Oh, wow. I have that footage. and uh, That's from uh, up here? Yeah. Uh, you've, seen, uh, you've probably seen this because it's kind of famous footage. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, and then at first you say, well, that could be anything until you realize the things like surfing the contrail and then actually goes underneath and then above like it's flying circles around a bird or something couldn't do that keep up the speed of that that's crazy yeah it is crazy well it's all crazy but uh it it happens here more than any place else it seems like yeah we gotta i'll I'll get in touch with ruben all right he might want it because he uh is quoted here by saying this is this was a hot. This is a hotbed. Yeah, let's let's try to get Ruben on. He's a nice guy, great researcher. And, really great uh, researcher. Yeah, tell him pull out the Sonora files. Oh yeah. Or make them available to, uh, you know, 
I don't know how how well uh, I don't know that much about MUFON. I get their little newsletter, but I'm not a member or anything. You know, you know what I have is not the MUFON database, which is if you're I, a member, you can access it. But you know, you know what I have is I have something called UFO Cat. I'll find it. It's in my stuff. It, it's a huge database. It has like 250,000 sightings in it. Now, the one that I've depended on and I, I, is, is the New Force National UFO, UFO Reporting, Reporting Centers. Yeah. Right. The guy from up in Seattle. I guess. I guess. Peter Davenport. Boy, you just know. know yeah, all. I met him. <laughs> He's been in the business a while. I'm just well, a homeboy. I, I produced a radio show for a while. Well, you're producing one again. Sort of. We're hosting it. Yeah. I don't really want to produce it. I just want it to be organic. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> and it, this is exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. I found the joy. I used to, when I first started in radio, I used to orchestrate it so much. No. You know? And then I realized, some guy took me aside, actually, an old veteran in radio, and he says... You know, you're missing the point of radio. It's like this personal thing you have going with yeah. the audience. It's spontaneous. Exactly. Uh, and then I, after uh, so many years now in radio, I realized that guy had wisdom. But, it, you know, one, one thing I would like, though, is for people who do listen, especially if you're in Tuolumne County, you know, send me an email. It's Olav, O-L-A-V, at A-N-O-M-A-L-I-E-S dot net. Oh, and uh, send me an email. Let me know you hear us. So I'm on the radio, not just no. Now. You've got I'm, like lots of shows, right? And uh, I always tell people uh, if you have anything, suggestions, tips, oh, yeah. ideas, absolutely. Uh, what I advertise is if you have any events, yeah. fundraisers, or anything. But if you have any topics or something of interest, yeah. especially in Tuolumne County. Um, drop us a line and then uh, we'll try to do the homework or get Absolutely. you on the air. Or yeah, we'll get you, you on the air. air. Come um, on the air. Tell us about your UFO sighting or right. Bigfoot sighting or ghosts or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I have had uh, on my Friday afternoon shows, I usually have musical guests, but I've had uh, 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 the Curanderos from Peru. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've had uh, uh, the Bigfoot experts, uh, yeah, whoever I can too. drag in <laughs> the studio. No, but yeah, I have a better luck on it, though, because I'm Friday afternoons. Right. Uh, you're uh, Thursday night. night. But yeah, it's, it's Olav, O-L-A-V, at A-N-O-M-A-L-I-E-S dot net. Send me an email. So if, and especially if you have any ideas for stories. Absolutely. Right? If you have something you want, it, want us to talk about or somebody you want us to interview, let us know. Well, Dave, I got to tell you, it's 11.51. We got nine minutes left. Okay, well. Uh, no, I mean, it's been a hell of a show. <laughs> okay. Never a dull moment. No. All right, so give us another one. Well, I. You got like 50,000 of them. Come on. I'll tell you, though, Dave, I got to be honest with you, and I I think it would be beneficial to what you're trying to do. I think you need to start, I don't know if you make a database out of them, but you you need to start, like, legitimately, like, collecting these into something. Yeah, that's been my downfall. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, I, I think I'm like, remember the old Star Trek data? 
And he's just like sitting in front of a computer screen and it's just flashing in front of him. He can yeah. go so quick. Sure. And But then I end up not documenting right. anything. I just uh, want to flood myself with information. But that's the thing. You know, you, you talk about being a culture bearer, but what you really are is a folklorist. I guess you're right. You know, and maybe being a folklorist is part being a culture bearer. But, you know, I, I studied social sciences. You're a folklorist, man. And, you know, what's really curious is that I, uh, I did take, it's what they call the story of our lives. Right. But it was uh, storytelling. Yeah. And it was put on by the Merry Pranksters, Gurney Norman, Vic right. Lovell. And, uh, uh, but you're, you are, why it's so much fun to have you on with me every week is because you're a hell of a storyteller. But just like a bard or a storyteller, you know, you got to start recording this stuff and keeping track of it. Just remind me. I'll help you do it. All right. It's important. Well, we're, we're going to make a book, right? Yeah, our, we'll make our, a book. Or not necessarily a book. My vision, and I've talked to Brad about this, is, you know, like the Tuolumne County Visitor's Guide. It's only about 70 pages long. Yeah. It's glossy. And, oh, uh, we should make a UFO visitor's guide, uh, like yeah. a pamphlet. Uh, uh, yeah, but it have Bigfoot. Yeah, Bigfoot sightings, um, UFO sightings. And the places where you can go. To see it, haunted uh, houses. Right. We should and, do that. Uh, like, and it'd be like our cabinet of curiosities. Well, you, you're obviously excellent at the research. You go find me a bunch of this stuff, I'll make the pamphlet. Okay, here's one last one. You know I'm a publisher. Yeah, go for it. Okay, one night we were in our bedroom watching TV uh, around midnight, and I heard a hovering sound above our trailer home and muted the television. We heard something walking on our trailer roof. Whoa. It was scary because it couldn't have been an animal. I don't know why they thought it couldn't have been an animal. Maybe the... We have a lot of mountain lions up here, and they like to hang out <laughs> on the roof for some reason. True. It walked to the front of our home, and then we just heard someone walking from our living room down the hall towards our bedroom. Oh, crap. We were getting so frightened by how close it was getting to our bedroom, then we heard it in our restroom. <laughs> okay, maybe I shouldn't be reading this one. I collect them all. Of course. Uh, if someone was really in there, I fell to the floor hiding next to our bed, and my boyfriend got so scared, he got up real quick and opened our bedroom door to check who it was. He doesn't get scared easy, but he was scared like crazy. I bet. Uh, then we ran outside. Nothing was around. All right. Well, what's this one? Okay. Yeah, we could put liminal spaces, too. September 15th, 2014. Yeah, that's outside the 10-year thing. Uh Yeah, well, they can be happening. Oh, no, they happen fact, all the time. When they did the analytics on, uh, so they took this database of over 80,000 uh, sightings that had been collected. Right. And over a period of 100 years. Right. And uh, they broke it down, not only just by city and county and shape population and, and stuff, but in shape, right. but also times of year, sure. uh, times of day. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you can make a little guide saying that it's, it's more often that you see them during these times of the day and places where it have been well, known. I think, I think there's enough, there's enough places. We know a bunch of Bigfoot places to go, right? Yeah. 
We know a bunch of haunted stuff to go to. Yeah. And we've got some really good UFO sightings, like the one at that peak. Gibbs Ranch. Gibbs Ranch. And we know exactly where these places are. And where uh, Pete Manis... Uh, Sonora Air Club. Uh, ...launched uh, the first flight. If, if, if it is true, then that would make it the first navigatable... Right. Um, manned flight in California. Yeah. And uh, and it's where that bar is. What you described is over where that, there's yeah, a butcher right, there. Right by there. Fantastic butcher, by the way. That butcher down on oh, the yeah, That's local oh, yeah. beef. It's local everything. Yeah. It is amazing. In fact, what is it called? It's something like local something. I forget the name of it. Yeah. But if you look at the bar, it's, there's, a set of, there's a white set of buildings. It's on the far left. Across the street from the gas station. Uh, right next to the gigantic cha- table and chairs. With a wine bottle and wine glasses. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's so. to the right of that. Okay. I'll, I'll look up the name. Rawhide Meats. Rawhide Meats. That's it. Rawhide I, Road is the road that snakes around Table Mountain. Oh, really? Okay. I'm going to go down Rawhide Road. Oh, yeah. Rawhide Road, Shell Road. Okay. Uh, you'll go past Pulpit Rock, where the uh, local Miwok shamans used to have their rattlesnake. Oh, right. Um, ceremonies. Okay. Cutting sessions, who was the greatest shaman. Right. And uh, very mystical. All of it's mystical. No, I'm going to go place. head over there. Maybe this weekend. All right. After I go to the flea market in Hornitos. <clears throat> Big flea market on Saturday in Hornitos. Oh, yeah, Hornitos. That's a they, very strange and wonderful place. It is. The first Girardelli factory is there. Yeah. Yeah, supposedly it's like the second largest or third largest like flea market in the in Northern California. Wow, and the population of Hornitos is like zero. <laughs> well, it's it's like 100, but yeah. Yeah. No, there's a, it's another a cool building that used to be like some old store or market and then... I actually thought it still was because he had like a Coke machine out front. And we, it goes, no, this is a private residence. But the main part of the house was like 150 years old yeah. or something. No, it's, it's a cool place. It's just a little weird. Yeah, I yeah, love it there. strange. All okay. right. Well, that's it. That's another amazing Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki, Miola Phillips, and uh, Captain Dave. Reporting for duty. (laughs) Uh, And we just explored another one of life's little mysteries. Yes. And next week? Walter Bosley talking about Nimzicon. Nimzicon coming coming to a Zoom session near you. We're going to get into the heart of Nimza. Yeah. Well, I think think when you tell him about the, uh, I think it's actually like the Rawhide Bar. The bar? Yeah, the bar's called the Rawhide, yeah, the Rawhide too. the Rawhide Saloon or something. Right, because that's where Rawhide Road Yeah, starts. but you, I, I doubt he knows that that's where Menace took off from. But that has to be. Well, no, he said he gathered all the residents of Woods Creek. Well, that's Woods Creek. Yeah. And that's it, where the little town was. Or it wasn't really a town. It was like, a set it was of like shacks. A, yeah, it was mining camp. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, this is KDLP. Uh, KAD-LP.org, 103.5 Sonora. And uh, you were listening to Enigma Hour. We, we are on every Thursday from 10 p.m. to midnight. Keep it locked to uh, for your community radio station. Absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>